0: A quick side note before we start, this podcast contains personal stories around creativity but also grief, loss and adversity, so do please listen with care. Hello, I'm Sophia and this is my place where art and grief meet. Welcome to episode four of Where Art and Grief Meet. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation with Jess Rees, who is a most fascinating woman, and asset to the arts world. I originally thought of her as a fiber artist, but realize after speaking with her that she really has so many strings to her bow, feathers in her cap and arrows in her quill that a much better description is uber creative. I walked away from our conversation with volumes of food for thought, but also an affirmation that Where Art and Grief Meet the Project is truly a consciousness expanding exercise. And I was really buoyed by that. So without any further delay, here's Jess Rees and me. Yeah, uh, tell yeah. me before we get into everything, you work in a in a in a studio, an art space. What's what's your
1: yeah. work life?
0: Sure. Is also art related?
1: Yeah. So I have kind of a multifaceted uh, background as an artist. So I'm a multidisciplinary artist. I often consider my work interdisciplinary. So I'm blending. I like to blend disciplines and mediums and different practices. It's usually some kind of theme um, that kind of comes up for me. And then I'm using different um, approaches to kind of explore that theme. Uh, But for like visual art or drawing or painting um, in my weaving, it's often very abstract. But I'm also an extension of my practice uh, is um, an arts facilitation arts administration, I do a lot of uh, creative support or business support to artists, Um, I have a few different uh, positions that help help me support other artists and so I. work with an organization uh right now called MSS and we have a uh program called Fresh Eye Arts and that supports artists with disabilities. Um, prior to that I used to run an art studio program uh, for artists living with mental illness. And I did that for a long time in Minneapolis. Um, and then I also uh, work for Springboard for the Arts, um, which is a um an organization, a community and economic development organization here in the Twin Cities, but we support uh, at a national level across the United States uh, Supporting um, artists and communities in business support, economic support, making sure that artists and communities thrive together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do well. artist career support that way, and I teach a variety of workshops, like business skills for artists workshops. Um, so yeah, I'm I can have my hands in a lot of different things. I had no idea when I asked the question that Jess's
0: life was so multifaceted and interwoven with other organisations and working with other creatives. Like I thought that she just kind of managed a studio space. So I was really blown away by the breadth of work she does in the arts community. Her view about her work and creative life is like this.
1: I was just going to say the amazing part of being able to have my sort of wearing all these hats is my, my role and my work as an artist is all connected. There isn't a time that I, I feel like I'm actually not doing my art. Mm. A lot of uh, the work that I do within running the art studio programs for other artists is that I'm Collaborating, yeah, um, I see that art facilitation as a part of my practice. So I'm often, you know, facilitating and and at times teaching um, or educating on art techniques, art mediums, and creating art with others. Um, I've done murals with other artists. I've um, um, organized art shows. I feel like it's all part of the creation like i don't feel at the end of the day that i didn't have enough time for my art because i feel like that the art facilitation is my art too well if that makes that, sense i'm so happy because
0: i really it, it helps me sort of come to terms with what i'm doing as well cuz so like i found i was editing an episode and feeling like i'm not painting i'm not painting but then i realized mm. what i'm doing is i'm actually this project was never supposed to take me away from making it's just a different sort of yeah. making and mm-hmm. to to come to like to really grapple with something that doesn't necessarily come um naturally is is very challenging <laughs> but yeah. on the other hand it's creative and it's 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 a good thing so that's yeah. part of what i'm trying to do in doing this. But as you can tell me, even talking about it is I'm still working it out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like um often the, the artwork that motivates us becomes a project. And so this, this, what you've been doing, what you're setting out to do has, I think there's has a life to it, you know, and it is turning into not only creating artwork, um, but it's also creating a community and a conversation. Yeah. And I think that was something that I was really attracted to. I love to bring people together and I love to use art as a tool for connection and not just like connection between people, but but also connection between ideas, movements, um, you know, uh, things that impact our life. Um, So I, I, I was definitely a um, there was a lot of appeal uh, to your project. I when I listened to the Windowsill Chats podcast that you were on, I was like, the every like I was just connecting on so many levels to what you were, you know, speaking about. Um, so I feel like it's only natural for a project like this um, to continue to grow in this way. And um, I can relate to trying to do a podcast because I, I do um, a podcast through a project that I run called Moon Play Cinema. I also have this other career as a filmmaker um, that it isn't my primary function anymore um, it's what i my undergraduate degree um, is in film and electronic arts that was many many years ago um, and i continue to have a presence in like the the local film community primarily as a programmer now i've run mm-hmm. a film festival in the past and so i started a, a cinema program um, uh, january 2020. <laughs> Uh, and I had like this whole micro cinema program that was supposed to start like June, 2020. And obviously that didn't happen, but, but we didn't stop, you know, the artists and I, who we were all organized together. Um, we, we still wanted to do something. If we couldn't Mm -hmm. have those screenings, we still wanted to do something. So I never thought I would be doing a podcast and then it just kept on growing. And now there's like three seasons and, um, and we're kind of on a hiatus right now because I just, it takes a lot to record podcasts, scheduling, and then editing and prepping those episodes. Um, so I totally get it, and I actually have somebody that's going to start have, helping me with editing. Otherwise, I I can't get the episodes out.
0: So let's just take a moment here to digest everything that Jess has just revealed. I did tell you that she's an uber creative and of course she has a podcast attached to a film festival on top of everything else that she does. The really eye-opening thing for me too in what Jess said here is about how she views everything as all part of the one creative event or creative life I suppose She doesn't differentiate between the work she does with other people, the administrative work, the actual making, all of it is part of her creative life and I think having that attitude and taking that on for myself will actually help me come to terms with the fact that I'm spending time away from my paints and here at the computer which is just quietly not my favourite place to be. So... Yeah, a switch of attitude could actually make this a lot easier for me. And I'm really grateful to Jess for putting that spin on it because I hadn't really thought about that before. So next, Jess had first heard about the project when she listened to Margot Tanto's Windowsill Chats podcast on which... I talked about what I was going to be doing with Where Art and Grief Meets. The project clearly resonated with her. And so I asked about the background that brought her to this project, knowing full well that sometimes talking about this stuff isn't easy.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I mentioned that I have a background as a filmmaker. And for many years, um, my undergraduate degree and my, my graduate degree, my master's degree, um, uh, focus in film um, and feminist theory and creative writing. Uh, in 2014, I finished my master's degree and my mom, uh, my mom, um, was in hospice. She was, um, you know, um, she was, I haven't talked about this in a a while. She was at her end of life because, of, you know, um, um, I'm going to start over a little bit. So, she was in hospice and, uh, she was, uh, at her end of life with renal failure. Um, she had okay. lived with diabetes most of her life. Um, she, she, um, was diagnosed with type one diabetes when she was nine. Um, and she lived her whole life, um, with, um, just a, a, a devastating, um, and kind of traumatic life because of the diabetes that she had in her life, you know, that she dealt with. Um, And she was um, in her late fifties when she passed away. She was very young. So young. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so in 2014 is when she went into hospice and she lived for about a year while in hospice. Um, And she passed away in January of 2015. And at that point I had just like, I... I had just finished grad school. Like I barely, fin- I could barely get, get my thesis done. Cause she was, you know, she was passing and then ho- it was, it was a very um, hard time. Um, and I was her caregiver mm. and my, my mom, because she was ill most of her life. Um, and I was like the closest person in her life. She raised me primarily as a single parent um, and while living with a chronic illness and disability and, she she did the best she could, um, but I was often the person that was her caretaker from the time I was a little girl um, until she passed away. She was always a constant in my life. Um, and we had our ups and downs uh, throughout yes. the years, um, but always like my best friend, you know, and I, I talked to her every single day. Like there wasn't a moment I didn't think about my mom, make sure she was doing OK. We didn't live together, but I, I just always talked to her. Um, and she always called me, uh, mm-hmm. and when she passed away, um, you know, I, it was, it was really difficult because like, I didn't have that constant anymore. I didn't have, you know, that, um, that connection. Um, I still think about her all the time. It's almost constant still, but I don't have that, that, um, that physical connection, I guess, yeah. uh, that constancy or that consistency of a relationship, um, so what happened is I immersed myself in what would have been maybe my relationship with my mom. I immersed, my, immersed myself in art, mm-hmm. um, in visual art. I started painting. Um, I just felt compelled. I just
0: want to acknowledge here the similarity of Jess's experience, losing her mom with my experience of losing my dad and the visceral need to create in response to that vast void that is created um, when we've experienced loss of these significant people in
1: our lives. Anyway, back to Jess. And there was, it really started um, pretty much the next day because when she, the night, the night before she passed away, um, there had been an Afghan laying on her, um, a crocheted uh, blanket. Uh, and I, um, I spent a lot of time that night. Um, she was somewhat responsive, like she could say like one word here or there on her last night. Um, but it was that blanket that I just kind of studied. And I and I, I just became, you know, absorbed and connected to that blanket. But I think unconsciously, on many levels too, because uh, shortly after that, I started creating abstract watercolor paintings that had a very similar pattern um, um, and sort of grid-like, grid-like um, image yeah. that was similar to that Afghan, that crochet blanket, um, and then I. And I didn't notice that right away. It took me about a year. Yeah. I took a picture of that Afghan uh-huh. um, and, and uh, it all came together. Um, but between that, starting like this, like unconscious grid, like image that, that was almost symbolizing the relationship with my mom. Um, then also just n- always doing art, like having a sketchbook, um, making sure I had space to paint all like there wasn't really a moment where I wasn't doing art, even at work. Mm. Um, And I feel fortunate that that's part of my life um, because I have, you know, work, my work life and my home life and my art practice, they blend. There really isn't like a division between those. Um, So all of this kind of supports that. So um, as I was experiencing loss and then grief, (laughs) like there's all this, like, I'm, There's multiple levels to grief, and I was experiencing long term grief um, related to my mom being ill for most of her life, but also significant hospice um, a year of hospice. Yeah, so art became sort of that yeah yeah so art became sort of another way for me to stay connected to my mom Mm -hmm. um and all and even the films I I continued to make after my mom passed away um they're not like I don't see my art like trying to always reflect the experience of grief I'm more uh, I'm more interested in the like sort of the bodily m- manifestation of grief in the body mm-hmm. um, and how that comes out and how we show up in our day-to-day life. Yeah. And for me, it's my art practice. Like mm-hmm. I, I have, I feel like I have become myself or I found a way for me to truly communicate my ideas and my emotions through abstract art. And I, I, I feel like that I, that was a gift through, through, the event of loss which is like you know there's like so much pain and then there's there's like this joy that comes from it so um. so once again
0: jess's experience absolutely mirrors mine and the way she describes and you can feel it in the way it, there's a difficulty to articulate Um, but she articulates the loss and the sadness and the wrench of it all so beautifully, um, but also can put into words what that art practice means in consequence and in response to that loss. Jess is living with a constant hum of grief and she's, using that hum as a momentum i think to continue to make and be creative which i can't help but feel resonates completely with me utterly it's sometimes hard to reconcile the the deep the deep darkness that is the loss of this really significant entity in your life that's sort of Mm -hmm. shaped so much of how you go about your day and what you do and just everything and how even your Mm -hmm. thoughts and and where you you place your thoughts with the, the fact that you're actually freed up to express that you have extra time on your hands, all of this stuff, it's kind of hard to reconcile and embrace the positive because in a way I think initially I tried not to think about it actually but um, you don't you don't want to feel like you're doing your beloved a disservice by actually enjoying what you're doing and really Mm -hmm. benefiting a lot but then on the other hand I kind of think that that's what they'd want for us if they have Mm -hmm. had an understanding of what where your passions lie or where you're you know your expression as a human being is. Um, mm. I think that, you know, knowing that, that my, like for me, my dad would just be so happy that
2: mm.
0: not only am I making art, but I'm making connections with other artists because yeah. he was, he was a person who literally his whole life walked around with a tiny uh, wooden uh, Middle Eastern instrument called a baglama, which is mm. a half size bouzouki, and mm. he would play, he would sit in coffee shops or sit at the park and he would play yeah. and it would invite people to come and talk oh, to cool. him about the instrument, talk yeah. to him about what he was doing and it would be part of like these really deep conversations would come from these unplanned meetings that he had with strangers and um, and he formed very deep connections with people and I'm really introverted so I'm not mm-hmm. sitting out there doing all of these things mm-hmm. but the fact that I've <laughs> I've fallen on this on this way of actually connecting with people through the process, Mm-hmm. Dad would just be so happy and it really, it boys yeah. me to know that that's the case. So my next question to you was, was your mum creative?
1: Yes. Yeah, she, she- Oh, she was just um, always um, doing different crafts. Like she, um, she w- didn't consider herself a fine artist, but she did. And near the end of her life, she took up quilling. So she worked, you know, with uh, paper rolling, creating images with paper rolling. I have a couple of her pieces. She would do uh, beading. Um, she didn't do any drawing or painting, um, but she she was always doing some crafting. There was always some crafting in her life, but she 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 didn't do any knitting or crocheting, um, but she she liked creativity and she liked supporting that mm. and her children too. My brother was my brother is very creative and uh, and she she never questioned, you know, like why are you going into the arts, you know, mm. for career? you know, she was just always she, yeah she had no fear or anxiety related to me going into the art she just only wanted to su- support oh, that's that
0: lovely.
1: so yeah oh yeah, that really yeah. is that's
0: heartwarming
1: yeah she's yeah. Uh, she was a very sweet lady so what I'm
0: hearing is Jess talking about multiple layers of grief not just grief from her mum dying but also the protracted period in hospice would have been ghastly not just for her mum but also for her and then there was also the experience of having to be a caretaker for your mum and having a role and then you don't have that role and it leaves you reeling that's what I found anyway so it makes perfect sense that Jess had such a deep and intense reaction to all of this accumulated stuff And as it is with her, the same with me, it turned into a compulsion to create.
1: Yeah, like I just – how I showed up for my art practice became very different. Like as a filmmaker, you know, I – it takes a long time, some t- you know, to make a film. You know, there's multiple stages of films. I come from the experimental film background, um, and I had just finished my graduate degree. Um, I was still focused on creating film, but I started relying on painting and drawing as a way to communicate how I was feeling. I'm also an introverted person. Um, I tend to. Uh, Sometimes bottle up. I'm a very feeling person, so I'm sensitive. Um, I don't like to repress feelings, but I definitely kind of bottle them up, and they they show up in you know pain. Like I get headaches or I get a stomach ache. Um, mm. So I I found that art became a way to kind of release uh, the yeah. tensions or the sadness or just whatever my body or my mind was feeling. um, It didn't, there was no judgment. There was no, it, it felt like the paper was listening to me. You know, the, the, the brush was just moving where I needed to needed it to go. So it was a big change that, that, I mean, losing my mom, obviously was a significant change. Finishing grad school at the same time was a significant change. I had just started a new job as well at that time. So there was all these just different things, all these different moving parts, uh, that I felt like, um, art, like that, that placing art within all of that helped me sort of synthesize and move through that mm. so that I could also find like the new me, like what was me after my mom, <laughs> my mom, not being oh, there, you know, um, and it, now, yeah. yeah. Art. Like my whole life is art now, you know? But, and I feel yeah. like when I think about the role I had with my mom and again, that constant connection with my mom, that was my life before art. And then mm. when she was gone, my like my new mom was my art. <laughs> Does that sound hokey? I don't no, know. No, <laughs> no, no. I know what you mean, though. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the caretaker stuff. You know, yeah. like it becomes like the the art, like I like it, the art was um, taking care of me, but also I was taking care of myself through my art, mm-hmm. and I didn't have that before. Like I was constantly taking care of my mom, so. That's kind of that shift, I think
0: I saw, yeah, and also maybe it feels you know when you've got somebody who needs you like actively mm-hmm. needs you yeah. um you you show up for them, and you probably can't live this with yourself if you don't do what
2: yeah. you know
0: they need you to do, but in the same vein when they are not there anymore to be able to find a way of expressing or caring for yourself what however that might be is so important I was reading a thing yesterday they were talking about how uh, primal scream and all of these sort of mm. acting out when you're in pain is actually mm. it fuels pain it doesn't mm. soothe or it's not yeah. a release it has a negative impact on on an individual so yeah. in creating and in being in process you actually free up part of your mind and part of your self to heal and mm-hmm. that is that's a huge benefit of the arts and art and art making mm-hmm. which I think if we can encourage the thought of letting go of worrying about what the outcomes are and just thinking about how it's for some of us like breathing, but for other people, it could just be like therapy or like a mm-hmm. healthy relationship. Then, mm-hmm. you know, we, we would, uh, governments and, and individuals would put a lot more emphasis on how important it is because yeah. uh, it's, it's it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be complicated. But if you mm-hmm. can just understand that that's what it can be, if that's your thing then um, Mm. yeah, I just, yeah, it's important. It's good.
1: Mm -hmm. It is good. Art is good. (laughs) I have a bumper sticker on my car that says um, art is the answer.
0: I've just realized in listening to this, that for my dad who was always playing his instrument and it was an expression of his soul and the joy that he felt and his relationship with himself as he moved towards the final stages of his life he was no longer able to play his instrument and I realise now that he must have experienced an enormous grief at that time because I can remember him looking at it and not being able to manipulate his fingers to play the tunes that I know were going around in his head and he became quite agitated and distressed towards the end. And I think part of it was probably the fact that he could no longer have access to this means of expression. Yeah, hadn't thought about that before. My dad was a musician, but he didn't understand the visual arts at all.
2: Mm.
0: He's Greek, Hellenic, but he had rejected Christianity and had was a Hindu. And he, he used to talk about how um, visual arts were sensate and so they mm. took you away from spirituality, whereas music was a, an art form that would connect you with uh, spirituality. Mm. My brother was a musician, and and I was all about visual arts, and I couldn't help but feel somewhat diminished or less mm. valuable in what I was doing because I was raised with this kind of idea that what I was doing was less. You know, I don't. I wasn't on a spiritual journey. Like dad was on a spiritual journey. My brother was on a spiritual (laughs) journey, but I wasn't on a spiritual journey. I was just trying to be in the world, you know, but to have that in the back of my head was really uh, quite crushing. And I think that, um, if I could sit across from dad now and have, and have him hear the sorts of conversations that we're having, Mm -hmm. Um, we would teach him something (laughs) I I didn't understand at the time you know I just felt judged you know and so yeah I think um, spreading this word of how good and important whatever whatever your creative endeavors are um, is is really good and valuable mm-hmm. to the individual, and therefore to their families and to society. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm so impressed that you have such a broad um, collection of things that you do, um, and Thank that you, you can structure your life is structured in such a, a, a I don't know, meaningful way. That's it's uh, lovely. Mm-hmm.
1: It's really lovely Thank to hear you. that. Appreciate that. Yeah, it means a lot to me to be able to. Kind of move through life like this, and mm. um, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to have a life where, you know. And I feel like five years from now, it's going to look different, you know. But I feel like where I'm at right now, it feels good. Um, it feels balanced, you know. I, I'm able to create boundaries if I need them, um, but for the most part, I I need that fluidity, yeah. um, between my sort of like my day to day work life, you know the the hours that I put towards others um and then the hours I can have for myself. Yeah. Um I think that that I need in my life to feel like myself. Mm. <laughs> um yeah. And every once in a while maybe just taking like, you know, a month month off here or there that's just like I'm going to my studio. Like mm-hmm. um, um yeah. Yeah. So. Well that's you know that's
0: self-care and and if that's how, mm-hmm. you know, some people jump on a plane to Vanuatu and sit on a beach which is sort of hell to <laughs> yeah. me being slightly <laughs> phobic about sand <laughs> um, um, but you know if if yeah. you are aware enough of yourself that you know that that's what you need to actually yeah. give the best outwardly then um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gift to be able to to know that you can do that and to mm. be structured so that you can do that.
1: Awesome. Yes, yes. Um, structured, like I said, time is precious. At the beginning, I mentioned that, and I feel like being that structuring it helps me protect like the really important time, like you know that that time of art making, um, the time of being with people, um, and sometimes just the time of silence, like just yeah. being alone with yourself. So it was really fascinating to me,
0: not only Jess's attitude towards this creative entity that her life is but also how she managed to create that structure and embody the happy balance that she's created for herself now so i asked her about that next mm. how do how did you then integrate the rest of your life into that and still honor what you're trying to well still honor what you were doing like what? She- sure,
1: as an like original art, like what I was originally doing yeah, before yeah. my mom passed away. Yeah, I, I see it all connected now. So I feel like bringing the visual arts into my practice. Uh, you know, because I already identified as an artist. I was a filmmaker. Uh, bringing. Um, visual arts and drawing and painting into my art practice at that time was instrumental in me being able to expand as an artist. I felt again, like that was a gift. Like I felt like I was becoming like almost like a well-rounded artist, you know, like I, 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 when I went to film school, I went to like a traditional film school. It was going to, it was training you to work in Hollywood to work in sort of the conventions of narrative filmmaking. And I always felt out of place there. I never, I, I felt like, I liked my school, but I probably should have went to art school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, and because I my line of thinking was more experimental filmmaking, non-linear filmmaking, you know, art film. Uh, and once um, I started picking up on that, um, I went to grad school to sort of unlearn a lot of the conventions of filmmaking so that I could. You know become an artist filmmaker because I, I really needed some structure with that and I needed other uh, artist filmmakers in education that also had some you know those those connections and I yeah. did I found a whole community of experimental filmmakers that way. Um but when I started adding painting and drawing, um, it opened up all kinds of new perspectives on filmmaking for me. Um, but it also became more of an interdisciplinary practice where not only was I exploring emotion in my filmmaking, but now I could use abstract elements of being mm-hmm. in, in drawing and painting and now weaving, Yeah, um, that, um, could take shape, like an emotion could take shape in an abstract image. Um, So that's kind of where it changed for me. Yeah. Okay.
0: So this is something that really, really interests me. And a couple of people have mentioned it and I find it in myself that before I lost my dad and probably to a degree before I lost my brother, I didn't understand abstracted visual art. I was Mm. trying to find... The story, the what, what Mm. are they trying to say in this piece? Mm -hmm. And because those things weren't explicit in the same way as I didn't have patience for poetry, I'm like, Mm -hmm. just say what you need to say. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, but since I've experienced these losses, I've been really drawn to abstracted art, to Mm -hmm. all sorts of um, non linear storytelling, but particularly abstracted visuals. And a few people have actually said to me that the experience of loss has opened their eyes or let them let go of something so that they could embrace abstraction. Do you have any thoughts about
2: that?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, after my mom passed away, I made a short film called Beneath the Skin. Um, it's a silent film. I was commissioned to make it um, in 2016. It's not six minutes long and it explores it's an abstracted film um, and it explores that essence that um, grief doesn't always look like something. It, it, it is something in your body. Um, it's beneath your skin um, it's in your blood. It's in your mind. It, there, there's so many connections. It is emotion, um, and so as I was exploring that, I, I think color is a symbol of emotion. Movement is a symbol of emotion. The um, uh, a, a blank page could be a symbol of emotion. Totally. So I, yeah. So I felt like um, I've always communicated in sort of abstract ways, even when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I feel like grief comes in different ways. Like it never leaves you. Um, it's, it's there. And you, I, I experienced it standing in the grocery store while I was trying to look for, you know, um, a can of beans, you know, I was all of a sudden I was thinking about my mom while I was trying to buy a can of beans, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and that's abstraction, you uh, know, it, there, there's a level of abstraction to that. Cause it, it's like, it doesn't make sense. It's so random. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so random. You know, you're like sitting in the grocery store, you know, well, like, it's, um, just to mm-hmm.
0: my exact parallel experience <laughs> is for some reason, I've never went to the supermarket with my brother, but mm. for some reason, pushing the trolley down the supermarket aisles really reminds me of him. Um maybe it is part of when he first died and I was pushing the trolley down the aisle and I realized this doesn't feel the same as it did mm-hmm. before because nothing is the same. Nothing's ever going to be the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um mm-hmm. and that was the moment that I re like it it entered my body as a as a mm-hmm. knowing kind of thing yeah. that now I I always think of him as I'm going up and down the, the aisles at the supermarket. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, it's random, but yeah. that's,
1: yeah, it's random. That's, and I feel like that at some level, then it's not random because um, grief is always with you and memories are always with you. They live in our mind, in our body. Um, and we don't always know when they're going to talk to us, Yeah, you know, and so It's random in that you're standing in the grocery store, but it felt like my body was trying to tell me something, Yeah, you know, like, um, and to be with that thought wherever I was with when it was there, um, and to be present with it. Cause sometimes I felt like it was a form of dissociation where like the grief was so, was so difficult that it was taking me to, you know, into my mind, um, and and maybe losing time but i felt like well this is where i need my brain to be for a second you know yeah. so it's it is abstraction and i feel like um i can i can use art now in a way to explore that 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 i feel i feel much more fluid as a person and an artist thinking about life in abstract ways
0: yeah you've given me a lot to think about the Actually, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 also giving yourself permission in so many different ways to find to 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 be with yourself to not be explicitly told something, but also mm-hmm. what you said about the fact that grief takes on all different forms and shapes and mm-hmm. appears at different times makes perfect yes. sense as to why people would be more comfortable with. Uh, an a non linear, non explicit vision yeah. or film or mm-hmm. or e- experience even, because yes. because it is a reflection of what grief is. Which um, mm-hmm. I was reading, I love Keanu Reeves. Um, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> one, <cool>. of his, <laughs> one of his one of his quotes was about. He said, "Grief changes shape, but it never mm-hmm. leaves," and yeah. and it's it's so true. It's, yeah, it's very true, and um, you've articulated that beautifully. Mm-hmm. I can't. Yeah, I I need to to think on that because yeah, I do. I need to think about it. <laughs> so Jess had knocked my socks off with her observations, and left me with a spinning head. So it took me a little minute to gather myself. And admit that I had, before we got together online, been trawling through her Instagram feed and had been very drawn to one of her woven pieces called Peak. So I asked her about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I um, I've been weaving. Uh, well, I've always had an interest in weaving. I was gifted a frame loom. I'd say maybe three years ago, and kind of started working on it, but I just didn't feel connected to it yet. Um, and then over the last year, I, last year, I made a huge like life change, uh, and spent like two and a half months, three months, um, just doing my art, um, which I really don't really have that kind of, um, freedom in my day, um, to be able to do that. And I had just dedicated myself to exploring fiber art. Um, and I did some work with my sewing machine. Um, but I also found that weaving could be kind of portable that I could do Mm -hmm. it, um, not in my studio, but maybe sitting on my sofa, trying to relax and unwind and peak definitely came from that. Um, it, it took me a long time to finish. Um, I started it, I think, last October. So October of 2021. It's very, uh, My practice is intuitive. So I often um, don't have like a preconception or, or an idea of what I'm making. But with that one, I actually um, had limited my my um, color palette by Um, a Ziploc bag full of leftover yarn (laughs) that I bought um, at like a textile garage sale that happens all the time here in the Twin Cities. Um, And so there's, there are other people's yarns and they're all, there's like a mixture of yarns. And um, I just started weaving shapes Mm -hmm. and um, kind of doing free association between one color or one shape uh, and uh, just just going with the flow and that uh, created peak but i would um since i was new to weaving and i you know didn't have like a ton of confidence it took me a long time i just kind of kept and weaving is a slow practice which i really like um so yeah i just kind of went through the the motions of making that one um and then when i got to Kind of the end of what it felt like the end. Um I'd say that was probably in January. So that would be like, you know, almost three months of months. making this. And it's like an 11 by 16 loom, you know, it's not like a giant loom or anything. But I uh yeah, I I just decided to take it off the loom with a section of it not woven. It still had its warp is what it's yeah. called. Um a, a chunk of warp. And I I took that off and then I set it aside for a little while, um, wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it, um, but I knew I was done weaving on it. And then I have a I have a studio space and sometimes I just like to look at the work that I've been working just to kind of get reflect and kind of see any patterns. And that one was just really different from other weavings I was doing. And I, I held it up, um, held it by the warp and I just kind of held it up against the wall and it became sort of this cone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, And I just started. How could I? How could I do something different? Mm -hmm. I I didn't want it to be just a flat wall weaving. Um, And I'm still trying to find my voice in weaving. And it had the color, kind of playful, colorful, playful elements elements that I tend to use in my abstract art. So I knew that was there. But then, yeah, once I started kind of shifting how it could possibly hang or display. Um that's kind of where the title peak came from, because once I I kind of collected all of the warp strings and then I I just kind of brought it together and it was this little little mountain <laughs> um, and it became a peak. And um, I, I felt like I, I smiled. I was like, yeah, I think this is it, you know, and I um, there's been a few times in my art practice where like I felt like, yeah. That's me. Or like, I think I've achieved what, even though I like didn't set out to do something specifically other than to create, um, I felt like that was me, you Mm -hmm. know, like the choices that kind of, you know, followed, uh, based upon making that and then exploring what it could be, um, it just felt like, yeah, that's my voice and that's good. I'm going to, I, that's how it's going to to live. And so, yeah, um, it's, it's currently going to be exhibited with the textile center here. in um, in Minnesota, we have like a Nash, like a nationally known textile center. Um, and every year there's a member show. And mm-hmm. so there's like over a hundred pieces of art on display. And so I, um, since I bought all the yarn for that piece, from the textile center's garage sale. I thought it Perfect. would be very nice to show it
0: there. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. I do so love that these scraps of yarn that were purchased at the textile center's garage sale have now been reimagined through a meandering process of creation that's uncharted and unexplored and unknown. And they've found their way back to the place where. They were sourced, albeit in a different form. I just think that's beautiful and poetic, and um, really emblematic of what Jess is doing, and actually what I would like to do in my art practice too.
1: I think you know, I I, I just you know, I'm just at a point where I want to be. You know, I want to be as an artist. I just uh, I connect with other artists. Um, art is a lifestyle for me, uh, and I. I want it in my life all of the time. Like, yeah. and, and I don't think it's an obsession. It's just more about who I am, mm-hmm. where my voice lies, where I feel most comfortable. Um, so I surround myself with artists. I surround myself, um, with reading about art all the time. <laughs> if I go on vacations, like I'm going to a museum, you know, yeah, yeah. try to meet, meet people doing art. Um, and, uh, I feel like the people in my life support that. And I, like my spouse and my my family and I I think that's really important to be able to make sure the people in your life understand how important mm. art is to not only the way you communicate but how you move through the world.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: well, it's um, so much part of a person's identity is mm-hmm. um and if it's a prism through which you express mm-hmm. it's like a, it's a it's another language for you. Yeah. And for somebody to not be able to have the time or feel supported in um, expressing themselves as they need to is, yeah. you know, true fascism and, and repression yeah. and something that, yes. you know, we, we don't want. Yeah. When that voice is stifled for some reason, for example, with me, I lost the ability to use my arms the way I used to. So I had to find a different way of expressing myself. Have you had experiences which have forced you to find other ways? What are the impacts of those experiences?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I live with a mental illness. I live with um, anxiety and it's impacted me in many ways. You know, uh, I, I actually, for when I, after I finished graduate or undergraduate um, in film, um, it took me a long time to start to feel confident or comfortable in being an artist. And it was because of anxiety. I was, you know, that really prevented me. And I just, I didn't make after college, I just didn't make anything. Um, it was very difficult. I used therapy and and ways to find my voice and to feel comfortable. Um, and I felt that that was a restriction. That I felt like mental illness was impacting. Um, and I, I also feel like my anxiety also stemmed from my constant caregiving um, towards my mom. Uh, and so I always lived with things, this anxiety, if I started to create and build a career, um, then I would take, it would take me away from my mom. And that was a form of the illness that I was going through. Yeah. Um, the other part was I had a significant, um, injury to my left wrist, which I still have a, a partial disability from, uh, and that. At that time i was I was really focused in creative writing. I was doing a lot of video poetry, uh, and I um, could no longer really write as much as I yeah. wanted. Um, and it took me about three years to build up some some good strength in that and that wrist and that hand again. but I used you know all kinds of dictation to help me um, transcribe uh, my thoughts and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there has been experiences, but I've never experienced. Um, creative block other than yeah. when I came out of college. So um, I just, I, I always create, like, there's always something I'm doing. Even even after college, I was crafting, you know, I was, I was, I used photography a lot. Like I never stopped making, I just couldn't get to that level where I was like, oh yeah, I can be an artist. Like this yeah. is, this is the path, you know, it was, yeah. So um, there's a notion,
0: I think, about being an artist or claiming to be an artist, where which makes people uncomfortable. And I think it's because the idea of an artist is supposed to be accompanied by the requirement and the skill to say something important or to express a theme or something along those lines. Whereas What I think, and I think what Jess is saying as well, is being in the process is being an artist and that becomes part of your identity. And the ideas that you have come from being in the process rather than the ideas driving the activity. It's the other way around. The activity drives what comes out of it, the magic.
1: Yes, yes, because I I feel like um, our thoughts and ideas are often messy. They're all kind of jumbled. I mean, that's at least for me. Mm. And so when I go into art making my ideas and my thoughts, like I, they can be messy. And I, I let that be grief is messy. Um, so I feel like all of these different things in our life, they, we can let them be messy and they can help us like transform or transcend into a messy piece of art. (laughs) That's kind of how I feel like I, that's just my practice, you know? And so the aesthetic of my style is messy. Um, my, you know, the, my emotions can be messy and that's just who I am, you Mm. know? Um, so yeah, totally. I totally get that. And it's interesting. You
0: should say that because that makes me kind of understand a bit better about why my mum. Is not able to make mm, um, mm-hmm. following the death of my brother because she doesn't like messy. She likes mm. everything to be nice yeah, they, with, yeah. and she's a lady of a certain generation. So you yeah. know, um, to live with the unser- the beautiful oh, uncertainty, yeah. The, yeah. the 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 blessed imperfections that come uh, yeah. is not. It's she's just not comfortable with that, and sure. she doesn't have the whatever that thing is to to the freedom to explore yeah. just you know playing just playing yeah. with, with whatever it yeah. is and also yeah. you know if you haven't done a class then you don't really know what you're doing but i'm kind of like i love doing things when i don't know what i'm oh, doing yeah. because <laughs> you you actually you, you can then find out what questions you need to ask and they're all yeah. pertinent there's nothing yes that's peripheral yeah. because you don't know what you don't know until you need to know it and then you find out yes. so yes yes
1: yeah yeah there's there's a lot of courage in that kind of approach and i i feel like it's it's definitely like a, a sense of of um being brave as well um to to yes take in the uncertainty and finding beauty in uncertainty um and yeah just going with the flow that it's not easy for everyone, you know, and that also stems from all types of anxiety and and fear. Yeah. Um so yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, it I occasionally also... am like that
0: sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> well see my grandmother as well, she she had, I'm sure, an undiagnosed anxiety disorder. She was a seamstress and mm. incredible. But yeah. after she passed away, I was going through some of her um, effects and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of jewellery and a lot of clothes and all of this stuff, but she would adjust uh, the beading on a necklace to reduce Mm -hmm. it by half a (laughs) centimetre so that it hung at the right length because (laughs) she had such a clear vision of what she needed to achieve, but it didn't didn't give her peace. She didn't have peace. Mm -hmm. And I think those of us who have anxiety really seek a sense of peace and a sense of
1: mm-hmm. just
0: being able to breathe and just being able to be present mm-hmm. in what we're doing. And when you can't find that, it really, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a form of torture and it's it's yeah. a very cruel thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know, you know, my grandmother was quite hard sometimes, all the time, most of the time, <laughs> and I can see now in retrospect how hard it must have been for her living with that mindset and that yeah. and that illness like it's just yeah. so hard
1: anxiety is full of layers <laughs> <laughs> it's there's it, so embracing
0: much. it and and being yeah. open about it is a for yeah. me is a huge way of dealing with it because oh yeah i can't be apologizing for myself all the time no. you
1: know no, you shouldn't have to you mm. have to
0: I have yeah. so enjoyed talking to you today. You, I, I'm I going to have the benefit of listening back to this. <laughs>
1: it's a real pleasure. Yeah. Um, thank you.
0: And, and I just, I'm so grateful that you, that you put yourself forward to talk to me because you've really, you've given me so much to think about. Like,
1: well, I just, I, I connect with your project and I I've been following along and I, I continue to look forward to sort of the next phases of, of what you're doing and, signed up for your blog post. So I always get an oh, So there you have I'm it. Allowed. That was my so, chat um, again, with I'm Jess
0: Rees of Minnesota, who is a most inspirational person. And what I will do so you can look her up is I will put links to her Instagram feed on the show notes, in the show notes. And i really hope that you could get as much from our chat as i did so thank you so much for listening thank you so much to blue ant for giving me the tech to make this podcast possible thank you to dallas cosmos for the theme song and the little bits in the musical breaks And thank you to my patrons through Patreon and those who have made a donation through PayPal. You can find details about all of that in the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much for your precious time. I really appreciate it. And so it's good goodbye from me until next time. Where Art and Grief Meet is a Soap and Sun production produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge their continuing contribution to Australian culture. <laughs>